the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Healthcare Now, paid for by Integrated Physician Network. This program is recorded to air at this time. Healthcare premiums through the roof. So much to think about when it comes to healthcare. Who do you talk to? Where do you go next? Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now with host Mark Chea, Larry Jones, and from Orlando Medical News, John Kelly. And now let's head into the Healthcare Now studios. Good morning. I'm John Kelly, publisher of the Orlando Medical News. Good morning to my co-hosts, Dr. Mark and Larry Jones. Larry Jones is the executive director of IPN and CEO of Independent Healthcare Partners in Maitland. Dr. Mark is a pediatric surgeon. He is the uh, president of Pediatric Surgery PA, located right here in Orlando. Last week, we ended the show talking about health care costs, specifically facility fees, which only hospital systems can charge. Dr. Mark, talk to me more about that. Why can a hospital system only charge a facility fee and not an independent physician? Well, so, and then that's, that's the right statement. So other groups can charge facility fees, like, so like surgery centers, uh, but, but the hospitals specifically have the ability to add on for a therapy that if a physician did it in his office, they couldn't use that same facility fee. So a facility fee is an added piece of cash that goes towards the, de- the delivering system, right? Um, so if someone comes in and says, let's say that they're going to have a echocardiogram, a study of their heart. Uh, if they go into the hospital and do this, there'll be a couple of different charges. There'll be a charge for that process that the, the provider, uh, there's you know a technician, uh, and there'll be a charge for, for that process. There'll be a charge for the interpretation of the study. So that's usually a professional fee that goes to, let's say, a physician. And then... Out of those two, the third piece is the facility fee. And as you might expect, or maybe not expect, that's typically the largest of those fees. Now, if you went into a cardiologist's office, uh, the way that that private practice cardiologist would be able to charge for things is is quite different. So they, they either have no facility fee that they add, or things are somewhat modified. Um, if I can use another example, um, if you're talking about having surgery, there's a facility fee if you go to the hospital and have your inguinal hernia repaired. If you go to a surgery center, it's the same code to have that hernia repaired. It's the same facility fee, but the amount that is reimbursed is considerably less than the hospital. You know, Dr. Mark, we had a number of uh, emails and call-ins after our uh show last week talking about facility fees people want to know explain more about facility fees and give us some examples and one uh a lady went to a sports medicine clinic and got a diagnosis of a frozen shoulder she paid her doctor bill she paid her copay was probably about a 20 percent of her uh deductible and then later on when she got home she got a hospital-owned facility fee of over fourteen hundred dollars wow 
And Unexpected. Then there, yeah. And then there was another one. A person had a colonoscopy at an independent outpatient surgery center. They paid their $844 in total fees to the anesthesiologist, the physician, and the outpatient surgery center, but there were no other fees included like a facility fee. Right, right. And then we had another one, uh, uh, another uh, colonoscopy who actually had it done in a hospital-owned facility, paid their four different copays, which was $30 each to the doctor, the anesthesia, the pathology, and a visit for a prep, and then got a $2,700 facility fee at the, in the mail. That. So I think so. It, it pays to ask up front, is there a facility fee? How much is it? Is it covered by my insurance? And does there have to be a facility fee? Right. No, you do. And that's that's what we're doing, right? We're trying to educate right. folks because who would who would know to ask? No I mean, one. Because yeah. I mean, the way medical billing is so incredibly complicated. I mean, and, yeah. and that's one of the things that, that, that we spend a lot of money paying people to figure out how to do it right. Right. And then right when you think you got it figured out, the game gets changed. You know, when when right. surgery centers first got popular, right? When they were first popularized, uh, surgeon groups would get together and they'd build a surgery center. Uh, they were allowed to own 40% of the surgery center, say, mm-hmm. and then a company, a management company, would own the rest. And they were charging facility fees, and they were getting paid like a hospital. Mm-hmm. Now, their overhead was so much lower that they were really making bank. It was really right. very, very... Right. Now, all, all this happened you know, before I was even in med school, and and pretty quickly, those payers got an idea that, well, well why are they making that much more money? And it's, again, this thing we, we mm-hmm. cry all the time about, no, those doctors, they shouldn't be making that extra money. So they changed what they were paying. So that changed the whole landscape of not only are there areas where you can't charge a facility fee, you can charge it and not get paid what the hospital gets right. paid. Well, as a surgeon, I'm sure you see this every day because you operate in either the hospital or an outpatient right. surgery center that may or may not be owned by the hospital. Right. Does your team, because people are insured, you probably don't even have these conversations about, well, there's you're going to have the anesthesiology fee, you're going to have the lab fees, and, and all the other fees that go along with your physician surgery fee. We, we actually talk to mm-hmm. all of our patients and We've gotten pretty knowledgeable, and I say we because it's, it's a team effort, pretty knowledgeable about the different insurances, who can go where, um, and what that's going to mean. There are a lot of opportunities for patients to go to hospitals or surgery centers, and we'd like to talk to them about what that's going to look like. Believe it or not, there are a few commercial payers out there that either won't let you go to a surgery center or will actually charge more to the patient at the surgery center. Site of service. Yep. yep. So mm-hmm. so that gets really confusing, but most of the time, the vast majority of cases, they're going to pay, the family's going to pay less, and the, the centers are going to get a, a lower reimbursement. Now, I do want to point out that that doesn't change. We talked about the professional fees, so that would go to your anesthesiologist, that would go right. to your surgeon, right. uh, your pathologist. That doesn't change one place or another. So when I go to the hospital and do, say, an appendectomy, I get my fee for that appendectomy directly to me from the payer, and it's the same fee as I would get no matter where I did that operation. Right. But I don't get a part of the facility fee, and that facility fee, if they're paying a percentage of their, the, the client's paying a percentage of their right. fees, they're going to see 
an extra bill. Well, if you remember on our last show when we were talking about cost, we talked about facility fees represented 97% of an OBGYN right. and 92% of an orthopedic knee replacement in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So how does the U.S. healthcare system rein these facility fees in, Dr. Mark? Well, I think you've got to look at it, and you've got to look at the books. You can't expect any group to be losing money. In, I mean, it is a business, okay? I mean, it, they, they, they have to pay keep, for the brick and pay. mortar. Right, exactly. Right. And so I think where we've gone a little awry is the hospitals can justify their increased costs. Um, they can very clearly show you the books and say that we pay this, we pay this. But I think that over time it's become a, a technique of, maybe showing a little bit too much of that and seeing that number go up. I mean, I tell you, an eye-opening event for me, Larry, is when you and mm-hmm. I talked about value-based medicine, right? Right. And so we talked about how we're going to have a group of independent physicians and independent centers, and we're going to share in profit with the insurance companies. In managing and, a defined manage, number right. of patients. Right. So right. we're going right. to, so if at the end of the year we've saved X number of dollars, we're going to be able to give some of that money to the physicians right. as well, right? As well as the insurance company. Shared savings. Shared savings. Yeah. Well, I thought when you told me, I'm like, man, this is, this is a gold mine because we're going to destroy the independent, I'm sorry, the, the uh, hospital based groups right. because their costs are so, so, so much higher. They play by a different set of rules. That's right. Their, their, what is their base of, of, you know, you start saving after this number mm-hmm. is much higher than our base. That's right. And to me, that's absurd because we're doing the same job yep. all the way through. Well, Dr. Mark, let me jump in here. Playing by a different set of rules, isn't there any type of uh, oversight by the state of Florida's legislature? I mean, they certainly have jumped in when it comes uh, to malpractice. Um or is this determined by the actual insurance carriers? And what about Medicare and Medicaid? They're trying supposedly to hold costs down. What do they right. say about facility fees? So, so CMS, you know, at the national level, sets all the numbers. That's right. Okay, and so the there's some variation. It, literally, it, it is a number. It's a relative value unit that they say if if this is done, it represents an RVU of a number, and that that number is converted to a dollar amount depending on where you're delivering the service and that by where I mean geographically. So, so in the state of Florida, we, how many, how many CMS, we have like seven CMS zones in the state of Florida Correct. that, that yes. pay a little bit differently seven different regions and then yep. different regions. So different states have different regions. Mm-hmm. So this starts at the top, John. I mean, there's, there's yeah. no state stepping in and yeah. saying, I mean, someone could certainly yeah. rattle the bushes and say, you know, do this, do that. And some commercial payers will say, listen, we prefer you go to an outpatient center if you could. It's just not pervasive yet. It's not out there yet. And and this is going to be driven by our listeners, by right. the clients, those people who consume health care. They're the ones that are going to be able to drive the change. And John, that's the reason, know, that, not to cut you off, Larry, yeah, that's, that's the, the reason for this show. Exactly. Right there. That is exactly yep. the reason for this show. And, John, your question was completely appropriate because back to Dr. Mark's comment the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, uh, with a number of other uh, organizations at the federal level, set those CPT code values and reimbursement, and the private insurance companies play off of that. Yeah. So that's where Dr. Mark's talking about. It starts at the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yep. I mean, there's there's yep. literally the the menu prices are set in Washington. That's right. And then every 
price that you're going to negotiate with a commercial payer locally is a percentage of that menu price. Well, all eyes will be on what's going to happen in Washington, D.C. this year. At the end of the segment today, I want to announce that we're going to try to do something a little different. We're going to roll out a question of the week for our audience. Uh, We need to know what our audience think. Today's question is, what is the biggest challenge or problem in securing health care in the U.S. today? Again, what is the biggest challenge or problem in securing health care in the U.S. today? Please share your thoughts at 407-701-7424 or email healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. We'll be right back. Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. COVID-19 impacting your practice? Patients visits down? Elective procedures pushed out? rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Chronic care management? remote patient monitoring, medication management, behavioral health screenings. Interested? RxToLive.com. Better yet, call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. 609-605-6859. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems, and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video differentiating your business from competitors? Brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. Sakatafilms.com, 407-860-3035. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Concerned about COVID-19, MRSA, Candida, C. diff, and more? Healthcare systems across the U.S. trust Curis disinfection systems to protect patients and staff. Curis delivers high-level disinfection products for hospitals, surgical centers, clinics, physicians' offices, and dental suites. Curis means disinfection. Go to curissystem.com, C-U-R-I-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or 1-800-928-8708. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. We have a special guest today. I'm excited to introduce Jonathan Peach. He's joining us this morning. Jonathan is an advanced practice registered nurse, better known as a nurse practitioner with Central Florida Primary Care and Pedro Ortega, MD, in Winter Park, Florida. He practices family medicine and internal medicine. He's accepting new patients, but remember, call ahead to book. Central Florida Primary Care was founded by Pedro Ortega, MD, in 2001 to offer patients personalized health care with quality. This practice emphasizes preventative medicine with three convenient offices, Winter Park, Metro West, and the Hunters Creek community. Dr. Ortega, along with Jonathan and their team, go above and beyond to ensure 
each and every patient gets the best possible care to achieve optimal health and wellness. They are a bilingual team ensuring comfortability for our Spanish-speaking patients, provide short wait times in an intimate setting, allowing patients to feel more connected to their provider. The team specializes in the management of common chronic health conditions that affect adults, including high blood pressure, diabetes, thyroid problems, headaches, and back pain. Dr. Ortega and his team also expertly manage various health symptoms, including coughs and rashes. Full disclosure, Jonathan is my health care provider in Dr. Ortega's practice. I have also been married to an advanced practice registered nurse for 29 years. I am 100% indoctrinated to the value of nurse practitioners and what they provide for their practice, and it sure beats sleeping on the sofa. <laughs> Welcome, Jonathan. Dr. Mark? Hey, Jonathan. Again, thanks for being here. Uh, and I guess I have to give my disclosure as well. So my wife's actually in her uh, training at USF to uh, achieve that same same degree. And so I've uh, worked with a lot of the UCF students, I'm sorry, USF students uh, with wow. this. So, so we're going to ask you questions that we might think we know the answers to, but we want to educate our listeners. Um, could you start off by, by sort of describing what that educational process is? Um, well, no offense to your wife, uh, USF is a good school, but UCF may be a little bit better. Just, uh, <laughs> no worries. Well, she, she, did, she was an undergrad at UCF. And, That's a good plug yeah. in Central Florida, Jonathan. That is, and, and fortunately, <laughs> yes, she, fortunately she doesn't listen to the broadcast, so we, you know, well, I'm all good. I'm all good. <laughs> okay. Um, so a nurse practitioner is um, a nurse who's been trained in the um, master's level, at least a master's level, and now some have gone on to their doctorate level. But we are the the assistant right hand um, person to the physician. Uh, we see patients, we treat patients, we evaluate them, we order um, diagnostic uh, tests as needed, we interpret those tests, um, and we treat patients. So we're not really the assistant to the physician. We are like um, a second provider to be able to um, reach individuals who may have a harder time getting in with schedules to a physician or just having a practice that is able to see more patients uh, in a given day. You know, Jonathan, this is a great conversation because so many patients sometimes, I think, don't understand why they don't see their physician on every visit. Can you explain that? Certainly. So at least here at Central Florida Primary Care, uh, we are a team. We work together. There's actually five providers together, and we all work, uh, and we all um, work together as a team and as a group. And you may not see the physician at every time, but know that the physician, the nurse practitioner, the physician assistant, um, we also have another physician. We all see the charts. We all talk. We all communicate. And we work together as a team, almost as a whole. So you don't have to see Dr. Ortega, but know you are getting care that is approved and is up to Dr. Ortega's standards. Well, that's, that's very, very well explained. Thank you for that. How long have you practiced medicine? And how long have you been associated with this particular practice? Well, the answer to both of those questions are eight years. Eight years. I, Excellent. Uh, I graduated in 2013. And this has been my uh, first job as a nurse practitioner. 
And so you did the family practice program. Is that correct? At UCF? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. That's another thing that's, that's interesting is, is, and you might say a few words about how that lays out the different paths that different uh, folks take for this, this line. Right. So years before I even uh, did this, I was a, a paramedic in the medicine uh, side uh, mm. working with EMS. And then I went to nursing school. And um, from nursing school, I then continued on to my nurse practitioner as a master's in science in nursing. My um, degree and my my field of expertise is family medicine. So as a family nurse practitioner, we can see infants, uh, toddlers, children, adults, geriatrics, and even uh, women's health. There are some nurse practitioners that are only pediatric nurse practitioners, which they see 18 and under. And then you have uh, adults who see 18 to um, anywhere between 50 and 60. And then you have geriatrics who typically see 50 to 65 and above. As a family, I can see uh, all scopes of uh, patients. Yeah, I'll I'll even add to that. Uh, As a pediatric surgeon, I work a lot with some of the folks that go through the neonatal program. So they're they're scripted just to work inpatient facilities uh, for neonates. So that's also a kind of an interesting interesting angle. And my peds yes, folks have both inpatient and outpatient programs. So they really have to select up front. Uh, so by taking the path that you did, it gives you a much broader ability to kind of work things out. I mean, I think that, was, that would be something that would be very interesting to me as well. There's yeah. also one, one more that's an, actually an acute care nurse practitioner who specializes in hospital settings in ICU and CCU, but also as uh, an adult acute care. Gotcha, gotcha. Jonathan, you know, before we continue uh, in this question, I'll let you know that Dr. Deborah German is going to be on our show on April 3rd, and she will certainly appreciate the plug you've given uh, UCF School of Medicine today. She is a listener, so we're good. good. That's right. Well, so over these... uh, not just the eight years that you've been in practice, but you've been in medicine for much longer than that. What type of changes or evolution to the field have you seen, both both the good and bad? I mean, what kind of jumps out at you? Uh, well, the the good and bad of it is uh, insurance uh, plays a uh, major role in what we can and cannot do. Right. Um, and sometimes we have to alter and change treatment plans based on insurance requirements or uh, input um, in ways that we do things. Right. And I know, I mean, that's that's so frustrating for us and even more frustrating for our patients. So having, again, with our listeners, a lot of the questions that come up about their experiences with healthcare can be explained by these insurance regulations, directions, stipulations, if you will. So that's, I, I share that uh, that that concern. Jonathan, this is John. Um, One of the biggest complaints I hear on a nightly basis is the amount of time that uh, my wife has to spend trying to connect with some representative from the uh, insurance carrier. She finds it very, very frustrating, and uh, it burns a lot of time that she could spend with patients. Do you see that? Um, There are times that, yes, we we see um, we're having to do more... um, paperwork side just to treat patients like doing prior authorizations for 
medications that we know the patient needs, but we have to, to jump through uh, various hoops to get the medications approved. And, and that takes time that we're taking away from patients. So I wanted to uh, talk about something I think we talk about on every show at some point or another, and that's you know, the changes that have occurred with COVID-19. How did that, the shutdown and just the whole process, now it's now we're at a full year, which is amazing, a uh, full year. How have, how has your practice seen? it's a year seen? Friday. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So it's just, uh, you know, been a lot of changes. How, do, how did it affect your practice? Well, thankfully and fortunately, um, no, none of our um, employees were laid off or, or uh, furloughed or anything. Nice. We've been able to keep the doors open the entire time. But um, the first two to three months, we did see uh, our patient volume drop drastically. But through this whole process, we have been fortunate enough to be able to continue working. And through this time, we've actually been able to open a third <clears throat> practice. Are you using telehealth at all? We did at the very beginning, and then we are now using telehealth again uh, about half a day um, once a week. Awesome information, Jonathan. How can our audience uh, contact you? Well, our main number at the Goldenrod office is 407-7, correction, that's 407-478-0028. And then they can uh, schedule an appointment at any one of our three offices. Okay, and again, for our audience, that's 407-478-0028. Do you have a uh, website or a web address? You would ask me that. <laughs> we, we <laughs> and can that's the one it. thing that that's the one thing I didn't look for. Well, I can tell you, it's centralflprimarycare.com. Look at that! Again, that's centralflprimarycare.com. Thank you, and I need to remind our audience about today's question: What is the biggest challenge or problem in securing health care in the U.S. today? Please call 407-701-7424 or healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com and share your perspective. We'll be right back. Orlando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407 407- 701-7424. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Are improved patient outcomes valuable? Improved chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, all without increasing practice workload or expenses. rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Interested? RxToLive.com or call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. That's 609-605-6859. Orlando Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at OrlandoMedicalNews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. 
In just eight seconds, Healthy Soul UVC kills up to 99.99% of the pathogens on the soles of shoes. HealthySole.com. Smart prevention, fewer pathogens, Healthy Soul. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video differentiating your business from competitors? Brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. Sakatafilms.com, 407-860-3035. Concern about COVID-19? MRSA, Candida, C. diff, and more? Healthcare systems across the U.S. trust Curis disinfection systems to protect patients and staff. Curis delivers high-level disinfection products for hospitals, surgical centers, clinics, physicians' offices, and dental suites. Curis means disinfection. Go to curissystem.com, C-U-R-I-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or 1-800-928-8708. Well, we've got your answer to navigating the healthcare world. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. We have a special guest, Janelle Holm. She is from the American Lung Association. She serves as the executive director in the Central Florida area and has been with the organization since 2008. Janelle has worked in many areas, beginning as an intern with the organization, planning their Fight for Air Climb fundraising event. She was promoted to executive director in 2011 and has worked in many facets of nonprofit management including fundraising, volunteer management, and community activism. Janelle has quite a resume. She has a Master of Arts in Political Policy and Analysis from UCF. She has a Bachelor of Arts in Government and World Affairs from the University of Tampa and is certified in nonprofit management from the Crummer Business School of Rollins College. Janelle currently serves on the Florida Board of Respiratory Care, whose function is to ensure that every respiratory therapist practicing in this state meets minimum requirements for safe practice. She also volunteers with Valencia's Horizon Scholars Program, a high school mentorship program through Take Stock and Children. She is a past board president of the Soto Downtown Main Street District. Do you ever sleep, Janelle? Occasionally. (laughs) Welcome, Janelle. Good morning. Welcome. Vaping and the dangers associated with it was absolutely top of mind last year. You could not turn on the radio, enjoy evening television, or listen to a podcast without hearing a public service message about the danger, especially youth vaping. Then came COVID. Is vaping, especially youth vaping, still an issue? Absolutely. You really hit the nail on the head that we were really talking a lot about vaping leading up to COVID last year. And then, of course, COVID struck, and that really dominated all of our conversations. Um, And importantly so, that COVID-19 is a respiratory disease, and the American Lung Association quickly had shifted gears to address that. But vaping has still very much been top of mind for our organization. And it is still an epidemic, if you will. The the Surgeon General reports e-cigarette use among youth 
is still a significant public health concern. So we have to take steps for parents, for educators, and among policymakers as well to discourage the use of e-cigarettes. Um, to give it some perspective, 20% or 5 million of all youth in the United States have used an e-cigarette, wow. and that is a 135% increase in just two years. So absolutely, to answer your question, John, that it is definitely still a major public health concern. Does Janelle, it, oh, go ahead, good. Larry. Janelle, isn't this expensive? <laughs> Where do these kids get the money to buy this stuff? You know, it's thinking about the history of e-cigarettes, how they came onto the market. Remember hearing about e-cigarettes emerging a number of years ago before we really saw that, that rise. And there was a... Uh, kind of a belief that it was just water vapor. You know, it was nothing to worry about. And we know now, of course, um, we've had the suspicion the entire time that it was not just water vapor, that there were chemicals. And most importantly, among many of these chemicals was nicotine. Nicotine is highly addictive. And uh, with the concentration that is in uh, one of these e-cigarettes, jewel pods, whatever you want to call them, a lot of nicotine, so it's a very strong and fast addiction. Um, but getting back to your question, that um, you know, especially in the beginning, they were very easily available. Whether it was on the internet, that um, up until uh, I guess about two years ago, that I mean, there was not much in the way of regulations as far as the age for a youth to be able to purchase those. So it took a little bit of time for policy to catch up. Um, to so help is it to 18 or this. 21 now that they can buy this? I believe it's 21 now. 21? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's kind of, uh, it, it really shouldn't be a surprise, right? Because smoking, and when we look back at the history of smoking, how that came onto the scene and how it was like, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this. And then it becomes completely and appropriately demonized. So then if anything other than smoking, it's got to be better than smoking, right? So, I mean, I think that's was how we, the stupor of what we stepped into mm-hmm. And then you look at, at vaping, and as you say, it's, it brings up an, a whole different issue. I mean, nicotine, and we can talk the science and whatnot, our brain likes a little bit of nicotine, but then it likes a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And I, you're going to have to help me with the stat if you know it, but I know like one, one Juul pod has like three packs of cigarettes of nicotine just in one pod. Exactly. So, so when you load that pod and you put it in your hand, just the physical action of not having to open three packs of cigarettes and light them and get rid of it. Man, I mean, it's it's just incredible how quickly people can become addicted and get large volumes of nicotine. Exactly. I mean, yeah. you're talking one or two pods, um, and you have a very strong addiction. Just right. exactly like you said, not only that nicotine addiction, you can get into so many facets, facets of addiction Hand-to-mouth fixation, um, the the consumption. There's there's so many levels of this that we could dive yeah. into, but yeah. nicotine's very concerning. Yeah, Doctor Mark, is, I know you're a surgeon, but do you see many of these kids that oh, yeah. uh, you know they're vaping? Oh, absolutely. No, they yeah. come in and and empty their pockets, and you know, it's, and you look, and sometimes the the parents smoke, sometimes sometimes they don't, and I think I mean I think it was 60 minutes that had an amazing. I don't want to give them credit if it wasn't them, but but that had an amazing show right before COVID, and they interviewed a number of teenagers and how they got involved. And these were these, you know, smart, lovely kids that were like, yeah, you know, I think the, the term was, well, you know, 
classic, like, well, everybody else was kind of doing it. It was kind of cool. And next thing you know, they were spending, Larry, to your point, a lot of money mm-hmm. and constantly had a vape stick in their hand. And many yeah. of them have ended up in the ICU. Well, you know, that's that's sort of a different thing because, yeah. I mean, then, then you've got different products that are out there, right? Mm-hmm. So if it, it is expensive, suddenly there were ways to get cheaper stuff. Well, cheaper was absolutely not better, and there were... There were kind of rabbit holes. We talked a little bit before the show about mm-hmm. that, but that's like an, an, I would say, another extremely concerning but totally different issue with vaping. Very much so. I mean, that's there's so many avenues we can go down and talk right. about vaping, but um, you are seeing, um, to your point, Larry, mm-hmm. so many of these kids that are quickly addicted, products that are readily available and legal to to that extent too and ending up with irreversible lung damage irreversible damage Mm -hmm. to their other organs because of that damage that it's causing internally but i know we're here today to kind of talk about how can we prevent this from happening right well you know we're we're talking about youth vaping but what about adult vaping yeah what do you see in there yeah, so we are seeing um, an increased number of adults, um, especially in that initial onset. We have seen a decrease. So from 2014 to 2018, the people who had ever used an electronic cigarette decreased actually 7%. Um, so adult population, you're looking at about 11.7% of adults who've used it. But when we look on the flip side of that with e-cigarette use among youth, that in 2019, close to 2.9 million children started using e-cigarettes, or more than nearly 8,000 children mm-hmm. every day. Yeah, I mean, policy's got to come into play here in a huge way. And so our our new uh, U.S. Surgeon General is this is his second second term. Um, so he was with Obama on his first term, and I think he's a, quite a brilliant brilliant individual. Uh, what is his line on vaping i think he had a it was kind of early on so i don't know that he had a lot of comment in the first time around but i haven't really looked to see i'm sure you have so yeah yeah it's when it comes to policy i know there was a little bit of a lag in controlling where um you know there was just so little data early on but ultimately from the american lung association perspective we knew that this this just did not smell right right so we've been advocating the entire time with anything from the highest level of government down to our local decision makers to make an impact. And for those that are interested, we do have a lung action network where um, anybody can stay plugged in and hear about the latest in legislation, whether it's through the state of Florida, whether it's on a national scale, and actually have the opportunity to plug in and have a voice when specific bills or legislation do come about. Well, you made a a, a sort of tongue-in-cheek comment about it didn't smell right. And so the irony here is that it actually can smell great and taste <laughs> like candy oh. and no longer is it the, like some people can just say, oh, I just don't like the smell of cigarette smoke, right? Or how it makes my clothes smell. This is a whole different animal for people who hadn't had any exposure to it. Completely different, right? Exactly. And that's one of the things we're coaching parents on where, I mean, when we think about cigarette use in the 70s the 80s the 90s like you could easily smell it like there was no real hiding it. hard hide it for today it's this very different set of signs like what you alluded to that you may smell a fruity smell if anything and you're looking more more so for behavioral changes or some minor physical changes maybe increased nosebleeds a lot of irritability because of that nicotine addiction that comes on so strong and so fast 
In all of this, the American Lung Association developed several tools, both for parents and for children and youth. Um, For parents that we launched back in the fall, an ad council campaign, Get Your Head Out of the Cloud, to help parents to understand how to have that conversation with their children. What are the signs that they need to be looking for? And to be able to have that frank conversation about the dangers. Yeah, Janelle, I know we're getting close to closing. Last time I checked, about 15% of America were actually smokers today. Does this 11% vaping included in that, or is that separate from that statistic? That's going to be separate. So okay, I interesting. Don't, I don't have the, the latest cigarette use, um, use in front of me for adults, but I can definitely circle back with you on okay. that. Okay, Janelle. Thank you. The American Lung Association has two big events coming up. Can you uh, share a little bit about those? Absolutely. We are definitely in high gear with our events, which are fundraisers to support our mission to help fund programs um, such as these that we're offering for vaping um, addictions and education. So the first is the Fight for Air Climb on March 27th at Exploria Stadium, home of Orlando City Soccer. So we have... Yeah, that's right. Go City. And they've actually formed a team, so they'll be out there climbing as well. So you can learn more about that at fightforairclimb.org forward slash Orlando. And then a short time after that, on May 8th uh, at SeaWorld, we are having our Lung Force Run Walk. This is a fun run for families, for corporate teams, but the, the main point of lung force is to raise awareness for women's lung health and lung cancer issues, a whole other rabbit hole we could go into another day. Fantastic. And I just want to remind our audience, if you have more questions for Janelle, um, you can reach out to us at uh, healthcarenow at orlandomedicalnews.com. But more importantly, um, answer our question of the week, what is the biggest challenge or problem in securing health care in the U.S. today? Please call us. We have lines open, 407-701-7424. Thank you. just eight seconds, Healthy Soul UVC kills up to 99.99% of the pathogens on the soles of shoes. HealthySole.com. Smart prevention, fewer pathogens, Healthy Soul. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, IPNetworkFlorida.com. COVID-19 impacting your practice? Patients' visits down? Elective procedures pushed out? rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, behavioral health screenings. Interested? rx Better yet, call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. 609-605-6859. Land- Medical News, Central Florida's primary choice for professional healthcare news since 2005. Interested? Check out our website at orlandomedicalnews.com or give us a call at 407-701-7424. Are you concerned about healthcare skyrocketing expenses? Monthly premiums approaching $2,000? Out-of-pocket expenses up 50% the past 10 years? 
Introducing Healthcare Now, the truth about U.S. healthcare. Join the discussion. 7 to 8 a.m. Saturday mornings on AM 950 and FM 94.9. Co-hosted by IPN's Mark Chayette and Larry Jones and Orlando Medical News, John Kelly. Concerned about COVID-19, MRSA, Candida, C. diff, and more? Healthcare systems across the U.S. trust Curis disinfection systems to protect patients and staff. Curis delivers high-level disinfection products for hospitals, surgical centers, clinics, physicians' offices, and dental suites. Curis means disinfection. Go to curissystem.com, C-U-R-I-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or 1-800-928-8708. Welcome to Healthcare Now. Welcome back to Healthcare Now. Larry, let's pick up our conversation from the first segment. We were uh, we were looking at the associated expenses of healthcare and facility fees. But my big question is, what is the impact of venture capital on healthcare? Is that going to uh, via the free market economy um, positively impact? John, yeah, John, that's a that's a great discussion. In fact, just recently, Optum, who is owned by United Healthcare, is acquiring Atrius Health, which is a 715 physician group based in Massachusetts. Now, they didn't say what they're acquiring them for, but the plan is to expand Optum's national physician network under the United Healthcare subsidiary and operate over 1,400 clinics with over 50,000 physicians to add more than 10,000 more to their network in just 2021, Dr. Mark. What do right. you think of yeah. that? Yeah, so, so let's yeah. let's sort of lay that out yep. backwards, right? So this is United Healthcare. So mm-hmm. this is a commercial payer right. who is now into... And Medicare. Yep. You know, exactly, I'm Medi- sorry. Yep. 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 So this is this is a giant payer, yep. the largest. Second largest. Second largest yep. payer. Yep. And they are I think they have now, something like 27 million lives. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, they are now... Not now, but they are growing and growing, and growing their care delivery side. Okay, so and, and may, maybe this is great. I don't know, but I'm just I just want to for our listeners to lay that out. So we have mm-hmm. our insurance payer. So the one that pays the bills is now essentially owns the physician owns the physician side That's and right. the care delivery side. That's right. So they're paying themselves and controlling both sides of the balance. Exactly. Now and again, I'm 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 not trying to be cynical. Is that a good idea or is that not a good idea? But there's more. There's more. Yeah. Give me. Well, you know, I think uh, when you look at they currently have 50,000, meaning optimum, optimum across the country physicians, and they want to add another 10,000 to their network right. this year. We see what direction they're going. doctors. <laughs> well, the, I think the issue there is where does that leave the independent physician? For sure. For sure. And, and this is a different Which is character. the most cost-effective care. Right. And that we give in the United States. Right. We've talked about this as, yeah. as pretty much with anyone who is independently working in any industry becomes an employee, mm-hmm. no matter how good and how positive, how much they love what they do, eventually and usually quite quickly, productivity right. drops. You know, the, the independent physician network, which we manage, Dr. Mark, of almost a thousand independent physicians in 12 counties here in central Florida they're constantly being suited by the hospital system right to or a large venture capital right. multi-specialty entity to join yep. and lose their identity lose their tax id yep. and then what happens where yep. does patient care and cost go now we have and and we've talked about this i would say at least several times a year you and i have a conversation mm-hmm. about 
uh, groups that we've known and loved that have yep. have been picked up by the hospital or a venture yep. capital group. We just yep. I don't want to name any names, but we talked about one just last week. Exactly. Um, and and I you know from an individual standpoint, when I talk to the doctors, and most of the time they reach out and say, "Hey, just want to give you a heads up, we're doing mm-hmm. this." The relationship isn't changed. You know, I always kind of right. tell them like, "Listen, this must be a great idea for you because I know you're a smart person and and this works in your life." I can't judge and say, you know, independent till you die and there's no other option. But at the same time, over a period of time, referral networks change, things that just have to be the same. I used to, you know, I would imagine, you know, pick up the phone on a Saturday morning right after the show and call to talk to somebody about something. I might not get the answer until Monday now. So I I worry about that, that side of things. Well, it's really about access to patients. And if you've got the large systems the health systems, and now the insurance companies garnering the control of their patients, what percent of patients in America is that going to leave for the independent doctors moving forward? Right, right. And and I think it's the much bigger action in the larger cities, the higher higher populous areas. Because you know, if you look nationwide, there's still a lot of strength in that independent side. No question. But in, the, in the big cities, it's, yeah. it's rough. One of the comments we make in our IPA is, if you've seen a physician practice, you've seen one physician practice. Every practice is different. Yes, absolutely Every practice true. has different needs, mm-hmm. and, and then they have to deal with what you're talking about, the narrow networks, the right. insurance companies, the hospital systems, and, and make a way to be successful as an independent practicing physician today. Right, and that'll, that'll take us down another rabbit hole when mm-hmm. we talk about how the, the commercial payers have set up narrow networks that really direct care to specifically physician groups that they want them to see. And, you know, kind of, again, allow them to pick, well, this one has the best contract that I'm not going to have to lay out as much from the insurance company, just increasing my profit side there and, and, and totally closing out the ability for a family who's always seen Dr. X and his, his practice just can't go there anymore. Yeah. It's Let me over. give you two more uh, venture capital mm-hmm. uh, things that have happened just in the last month. Oscar Health uh, just sold 31 million shares and raised... $1.4 billion in its IPO. Now, Oscar Health came into our, the Central Florida area just a couple of years ago as a small independent, uh, small insurance company, and now they're going to be this massive venture capital yep. organization, yep. and who knows where that's going to go. Right, and they're, they've come in. They're uh, active on uh, the ACA website. Uh, I mean, they've got a lot of clients there, and, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I think they're kind of a... Uh, they're not. They're no longer an unknown in the state of Florida. Not at but, all. But consumers, uh, in my experience in talking to consumers, they they haven't really heard. Well, they got into the uh, ACA business this year yeah, too in Florida. ACA. Right, yeah, right. In the ACA yep. business. Yeah, they have actually. Yeah. Um, I've I've been on that site and looked mm-hmm. over their their offerings, if you will, mm-hmm. and pretty much have a product for everybody on that site. Right, uh, Doctor Mark. There's been a tremendous focus on acute care rather than prevention and population health and wellness and and prevention. And Humana just joined an additional $200 million funding round for an in-home provider called Dispatch Health less than a month ago after announcing a partnership with Dispatch Health aiming at lowering hospital admissions. Right. So now we've got probably the largest Medicare provider in the country, Humana, Spending a lot of money to move into the in-home healthcare 
right, arena. Right. I mean, it's going to save them a lot of money. I mean, I right. think it's a that's a a a wise move in a it is in in capitalism of seeing because Humana sits down and they see where their money goes. Right, and I think they I don't think they they I know that they understand that there are ways to save. And well, if you, you know, can they keep bought one of the, the largest primary care groups here in Central, in Florida, Central Florida, FPG. Yep, yep. Yeah. Now they just about a year or two, and, ago. and they're seeing. They're looking at those spreadsheets and looking at these groups and saying, well, we can save here. The challenge becomes, do they continue to save, right? But it is a good move. So mm-hmm. preventative health, I don't know how, what the cycle is. I think we could probably go back and, and look, at the, uh, look at the media and, and say, you know, what, what cycle of decades follows when we, we wake up and go, come on, preventative health. Is, it's always been about preventative health. Right. And it's never been spent that way. But yet way. we talk about practicing sick care versus health care. We've, been, we've always practiced sick That's care, right. but That's we right. like to talk about preventative <laughs> That's health. That's right. So we're really, uh, you know, we're not, we're not doing what we say we should be doing. So you can, I, can, I can't help but applaud groups that are claiming to work in that direction. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, there, there have been little things like a lot of the uh, companies, you know, tack on a, a discount if you use your gym membership, things like that, things mm-hmm. that make sense, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. groups that get you to quit smoking. All those things are important, right. but it's got to get more into the weeds. Well, than it's that. all about consumer education, which is exactly what this show's about. And I think that the more educated consumers become about their health care, the more outpatient non hospital care is going to be delivered in this country. Right. But it's so hard to convince the general public how important preventative care is. Yeah. That that's really, I think, the the biggest roadblock. I don't think it's the uh, the evil money in the in the back room. No, uh, I don't of, either. But yeah. it's it's just so hard for people because when you think about healthcare, you think about those unexpected issues that come up, right? Those right. acute issues, whether it be heart disease, you know, someone has a heart heart attack, they're not thinking about that when they can change their health habits. They're like, well, I need good health care. Because these things happen, and I need my health care to be there when it happens. Right. Well, you know, we're coming up on uh, Friday being one year since the shutdown started with the COVID-19 pandemic. Yep. And I think over this past year, the pandemic has increased the opportunity for more outpatient care, moving care from the hospital into the community and into the home. Oh, well, the numbers would tell you that's exactly what happened. Right. And, right. you know, we follow the hospital data uh, there's usually reports a couple times a week from the main, main hospital systems in Central Florida looking at numbers, and you could just plot it out. You could see as COVID numbers went up, all other numbers went down. All right. other numbers went down. ER visits plummeted, and yes. it made you, you, yes. know, you walk into an empty ER, and you start to wonder, who were all these people that were in this ER before? Right. You know? They are starting to come back up they are. now. Oh, though. no, they are. Yeah. They're definitely yeah. definitely coming back up as COVID numbers go down. So I'm not sure. I mean, there's a lot of theories about that. And, and you know, public fear is, yeah. is the one that makes the most sense of I, I right. just don't want to take the risk of being around it. But. There was a there was a statement made the other day by someone that said, today we try to prevent falls and pressure ulcers in the hospital. Tomorrow we will try to prevent falls and pressure ulcers in the patient home. Interesting. Great conversation today, Larry. But uh, we're coming to the end of another great conversation an hour. Um, I need to recognize our uh, sponsor today and our advertising partners who make the show possible. This week's sponsor is Nick DiOrio with Healthy Soul Decontamination. I also need to share a big uh, thank you to my co-host, Dr. Mark with Pediatric Surgery PA. 
and Larry Jones with the Integrated Independent Physicians Network. Um, our advertisers who uh, diligently listen to this uh, show and ask me about the audience every week, um, Diana Sicato with Sicato Films, John Fogarty with Rx to Live, Francis Grinstead with Curtis Decontamination Systems, myself, John Kelly, and the Orlando Medical News, and we've got two new advertisers joining us, April and Mary Catherine with Senior Resource Services, and Raul with CVRX. Larry, you have a final thought for our audience? The greatest gift you can give your family in the world is a healthy youth. Thank you. You feel better now? We hope you do. Join us again next week for Healthcare Now. For a podcast of this program, go to TheAnswerOrlando.com. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, IPNetworkFlorida.com. COVID-19 impacting your practice? Patients visits down? Elective procedures pushed out? rx to live provides a turnkey solution. Chronic care management, remote patient monitoring, medication management, behavioral health screenings. Interested? rx Better yet, call John Fogarty, 609-605-6859. 609-605-6859. The Integrated Independent Physicians Network, preserving and protecting the independent practice of medicine since 2015. Join the movement with us, ipnetworkflorida.com. Mark Chayot, MD, practicing pediatric surgeon since 1997, working with Central Florida's premier hospital systems and outpatient surgery centers, providing unparalleled patient care and leveraging the latest in medical, technology, and education, accepting all major insurance. 407-228-4774 or visit orlandopediatricsurgery.com. Looking for affordable or professional video differentiating your business from competitors? Brand, improving online presence about me or professional videos. Sakatafilms.com, 407-860-3035. Concerned about COVID-19? MRSA, Candida, C. diff, and more? Healthcare systems across the U.S. trust Curis disinfection systems to protect patients and staff. Curis delivers high-level disinfection products for hospitals, surgical centers, clinics, physicians' offices, and dental suites. Curis means disinfection. Go to curissystem.com, C-U-R-I-S-S-Y-S-T-E-M, or 1-800-928-8708. In just eight seconds, Healthy Soul UVC kills up to 99.99% of the pathogens on the soles of shoes. HealthySole.com. Smart prevention, fewer pathogens, Healthy Soul.